You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. No one wants to think of children in pain, suffering, or dying. It is a fact of life, though. So who are the experts who care for this precious population and their families? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Donald Schumacher. Dr. Schumacher has been a hospice professional for over 25 years and is the president and CEO of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Dr. Schumacher, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. It's good to be here. Thank you. How many children die each year in the United States? I would guess approximately uh, 50,000 children die within the United States, and probably of those numbers, 50,000, I would suspect somewhere between 35 to 45,000 of those individual children die from illness that has probably been of some standing and length of time. How many children are served by hospice each year? Probably considerably less than that. I would suspect, although the the numbers are growing in terms of referral, I suspect it's less than 5,000 children receive hospice services in the United States during the course of one year. And why is that? Well, you know, the hospice system as it's currently set up, generally hospice programs only admit a patient for care if the prognosis is less than six months. And many parents, myself certainly being one, and and any of us that have children would not want to accept terminal service provision if, in fact, it meant that we had to give up curative therapy. So what many hospice programs try and do is get involved early, as early in the process as they possibly can by providing supportive services through their organization, not officially admitting that patient, that child, uh, into hospice care until it becomes quite clear that the illness is, in fact, terminal. So I think it's a delay, uh, resistance, and an acknowledgement, of course, for anyone who's a parent that watching your child die is exceptionally painful. If they're not admitted under hospice, how does that work? What happens is that some programs can provide supportive care programs. My last program in, in Buffalo, New York, I had a wonderful program called Essential Care. And Essential Care provided hospice-like services to the child and support to the family until it became clear that the child was, in fact, moving towards the terminal phase of the illness and move that child then officially admit them into the hospice program. In addition to the hospice license that we had in Buffalo, we had a home health license. So we were providing services to those children initially through our home health license and then would transfer them into hospice as the intensity became clearer. How are the pediatric programs funded? Mostly commercial insurances, and then a portion of them are funded through Medicaid. And many of the hospices in the U.S. are very successful at raising dollars, fundraising dollars to support pediatric services. What do you think the future for pediatric hospice is? I think it's going to increase, and we are working on Capitol Hill now to look at a series of demonstration projects that would allow hospice and palliative care support services to be offered to children simultaneous with their aggressive therapy. So parents wouldn't have to choose between aggressive therapy and hospice. Both could be offered and provided simultaneously. How do the pediatric hospice programs differ from the adult programs? They have a wider range of services that are geared specifically towards children. In addition to the physician, nursing, and intensive social work, they also have a child life therapists, you know, working with kids around basic things to do with play. There's much more intense involvement in supporting children, the other children in the family, the siblings of the child. A whole range, I, I would think, are characterized as uh, intensity of care for a child, really based on the pediatric need. What services are offered for the families through these programs? There's intensive social work support for the families. Of course, any of us 
to have kids know you need, if you were going through this, you would need a lot of opportunity to talk about what you were going through. So the parental support services are absolutely quite extensive. Are there different types of pediatric hospice programs? There's a pediatric hospice program that the child is admitted to the hospice program within the last several days of life. Then there is what I would call a blended program where you have either a home health-based or a fundraising-based stream of revenue that would support a supportive care program prior to the child becoming eligible for the hospice benefit that they would be able to receive. So it's probably a little bit of both. What if a mother has been told that her baby will either die in utero or die shortly after birth? There are quite a few programs, now hospice programs. We actually are one in Buffalo. I had one where we were contacted by people who were going to lose a child either in utero or right after birth and were asked to provide bereavement support services to the mother, and we did that quite often. Do statistics mirror those of adults in terms of how many children die in pain each year? It's probably a little bit better for children, but I actually don't have the statistics on that. When should doctors start this conversation? When a physician realizes that, again, the treatment that the child is receiving is not producing or moving towards a cure or a longer-term remission, if you will, of the illness, then I think they should begin to talk to the family about the importance of preparing for what might be a less than acceptable outcome. If a hospice program doesn't have a specialized pediatric program, they'll still accept children? Generally, what they try and do is find a nearby program that might have a pediatric service, or they would try and put something together with a local pediatric uh, hospital or a pediatrician. Yes, but they would try and put something together. More and more programs, though, are finding ways to develop some kind of pediatric connection. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Donald Schumacher, President and CEO of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, discussing pediatric hospice. Dr. Schumacher, how many programs do you think exist in the United States specifically for pediatrics? Of the 4,000 hospice programs, I suspect you would find pretty much about half of them able to provide a service to to pediatric cases. In addition to that, there are the blended programs that are available through home health agencies. So I suspect you probably have, you know, a couple of thousand programs in the U.S. that would provide pediatric end-of-life care support. Does a particular case come to mind that illustrates the benefits of pediatric hospice? A case that I was involved in in my last job in Buffalo was a young child who had a congenital illness that was something that was also shared by another brother and a sister. This family, of course, was fluctuating between uh, active care of children that were receiving treatment and one child at a time uh, moving toward dying. We were able to provide very comprehensive medical care, certainly, as each one of the children became appropriate for hospice services. But along the way, intensive amount of work to the, the parents that were involved in the case and the remaining children not only over the fact that they were losing a brother or sister, but that in all likelihood, the death that they just saw would in fact be their own at some point in time. Very difficult, very problematic, but the family received our care very well, was very, very appreciative. One of the things that we find with pediatric care oftentimes is that uh, the family dynamics become very complicated and difficult, and it often results in a divorce for the marital couple. And we put a lot of energy in trying to help those individual families maintain some sense of intactness post-death of the child. And what are those bereavement services like? It could be individual or family therapy. Sometimes there's a marital counseling involved. Sometimes there's group. Parents talk about the fact that 
no one can understand the death of a child better than uh, another parent who has lost a child. So we really supported a lot of group activity. Will services take place in acute care settings or ICUs? Yeah, they can, absolutely. They can take place wherever the child or the family is. How can listeners learn more about pediatric hospice? You can go onto our website, www.nhpco.org. You can go onto another website, which is www.partnershipsforparents.org. They have some information on, on that website. And our other website, www.caringinfo.org, has pediatric information as well. What are your thoughts about the case involving the 19-month-old child in the Texas hospital who'd been on a ventilator since December with no hope of recovery? It is always a difficult case to decide when to to discontinue the ventilator. My own thoughts are that that is an individual family's decision, a mom and dad's decision that they must come to terms with in their own heart. What new initiatives have you started since your tenure at NHPCO? For pediatrics? Yes. We supported legislation that was on Capitol Hill for uh, concurrent care, meaning hospice services being provided simultaneously with aggressive therapies. We have a substantial project here at NHPCO called CHIPS, which is C-H-I-P-P-S, Pediatric Hospice Services for Patients and Families. Two years ago, we hosted a large pediatric conference in Detroit where we did a lot of education and training of healthcare professionals on the end-of-life care needs of terminally ill children. We largely focus our work on advocacy, policy, and education. We're always looking at ways to increase effectiveness in providing those three areas to kids and to their families. And if people want to get more involved in this area, are there opportunities? Individual hospice programs in individual communities, uh, if people are interested in getting more involved, that's where they should start. They should contact their local hospice program, uh, offer to be a volunteer, if they're a trained healthcare professional, if they would like to provide end-of-life care services to children, they should speak with the hospice program in their community to ascertain if there's jobs or availability there. Are there specialty areas like pediatric hospice volunteers? There are volunteers who are specifically asked to care for pediatric cases, yes. And how are they trained? They receive the, the basic hospice volunteer training, but they also have specialized weeks focusing in on the individual needs of children and support to the families. And what feedback are you receiving from medical professionals about pediatric hospice? People are very supportive of pediatric hospice care. They are concerned that they don't want to have a, a family situation where a family has to choose between aggressive therapy and end-of-life hospice services. So what they're most appreciative of is the opportunity for us to develop new programming where a child can receive both. And what are your surveys saying? They're very positive about hospice care generally, and the gratitude that comes from families post-death of the patient is quite strong. What's your best advice to physicians for starting this conversation? I think it's important for physicians, again, to recognize not to wait too late. Uh, certainly, they need to do whatever they can do to make sure that that child is not living in pain. But the psychological support and the pain and symptom management that's necessary for these kids is absolutely critical. And my best advice is to try and find ways to have the conversation as soon as is possible. And can palliative care be a bridge? Palliative care is a great bridge. Uh-huh. Post-diagnosis and prior to the hospice services, receiving good palliative care services in children's hospitals, doctor's offices, home health agencies is absolutely appropriate and is a wonderful entree and bridge into the hospice world. And tell us your goals for NHPCO. My goal for NHPCO is first to have every hospice program in the United States able to care for pediatric cases. 
making sure that they're there. In addition to that, I would like to have new legislation rolled out in the next several years that would allow for the concurrent care model that I spoke about earlier, aggressive therapy being offered and provided simultaneously with hospice care. What are the initiatives, not just with pediatric care, but with all hospice that you've started and you hope to start at NHPCO? I think the thing that I'm, I'm most excited and proud of is the increased number of educational opportunities that we have to provide care and provide uh, our members with new and innovative ways to provide services to, to patients and families. We have a membership opportunity, as you know, and our membership right now, our membership retention rate is over 95% every year. I'm very proud of the fact that members consistently trust us and have faith in the fact that we're demonstrating the leadership right now in the United States for care at the end of life, education, policy, and advocacy. And how many members do you have? We have about 3,100 members. Of those, 4,100 are members of our organization. Dr. Schumacher, thank you for joining us today. I'm Susan Dole, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.